Through no fault of his own, Mary Flynn's husband chose the worst possible time to retire. After a lifetime of painting and decorating, he hung up his brush in the summer of 2008. At the worst time, when the, um, I think it was the banks in America, it was a Fannie Mae and those ones started to collapse or something. And um, I think we were contacted to say kind of your pension is, you know, could be in trouble and half the money was just gone, kind of, you know. Literally halved in value. Literally halved in value. They had literally halved in value and we had no comeback. With her husband's pension decimated and nightly reports in the news of runs on US banks, Mary was beside herself with worry. She had a nest egg, you see, an accumulation of holidays that she had denied herself throughout her working life so that she could supplement her state pension in retirement. What, she wanted to know, was she going to do now? Oh, yes, I think. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I was on medication because I was so, so scared, so, so scared and didn't know where to turn, you know. Absolutely. And I wasn't the only one. I remember meeting a neighbour of mine uh, down in, um, I think it was down in Supervalue at the time, and she was in the same boat as me. And she was really, really stressed out as well. She was so, so scared of what she was going to do. We really didn't know what to do, to tell you the honest truth. We really didn't know what to do. So it was a scary time. What Mary needed to safeguard her savings from evaporating into a digital cloud of ones and zeros was a bank guarantee. And it wasn't just Mary. In September 2008, there was €80 billion in personal household savings on deposit in Irish banks. €80 billion worth of retirement plans, safety nets, college funds, house deposits, house extensions and car savings, not to mention wages. Without a guarantee, there was no safe haven for all of this money. It was a very, very worrying time, Philip, I have to say. I mean, it was scary. Absolutely, because as you say, that was my main, that money that I had saved was, was um, I always thought was there at hand and that was for our retirement. The bank guarantee Mary acknowledges saved her, though she doesn't exactly sing about that from the rooftops because that is not the story that we tell ourselves now about the guarantee. The ruinous, treacherous guarantee, the source of all Ireland's 21st century woes. Yes, of course, it was disastrous but it was also good for many. And now is the time, ten years since the country formally went bust and had to be bailed out, to revisit these events and cast a rueful eye over them. It's a blues song, what happened to us ten years ago. A proper melancholia about a country that did a late-night crossroads deal with the devil, who then had the diabolical bad form to come looking for payment from us. This programme comes not to bury unpleasant memories, but to sift through them one more time to see what we have learned and challenge our easy assumptions. Let's get a fix on what happened so we can fix what might just be about to happen.
Because maybe our great national tragedy is not a song of the blues. Maybe with the benefit of a good measure of hindsight, it's something else altogether. But for now, the blues will do. The bank guarantee, the very concept of the taxpayer underwriting bank debt, has become politically toxic here. But in the summer of 2008, it was a no-brainer, and there were a lot of people worried that the Irish government wasn't moving quickly enough in that direction. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's true. Uh, obviously, we all realised the effect that a run on the bank would have, and the more people who got nervous and decided to take their money out was going to make that problem even worse. And at this point in time, you know, our money was, as we thought, in, in the safest place it could be. But that began to look a little bit like it was getting shook from the foundations. When we tell the story of that time, it's almost obligatory that we mention buy-to-lets, timeshares in Cape Verde and runaway credit card debt. But there were also many thousands of people with money on deposit for much more modest reasons. We had a site in mind. Uh, there were a few houses built where we live. Um, they'd already been completed. So we were literally, um, I suppose, arriving on the back of that. We purchased the site with the intention of getting planning permission. And of course, we're assured that the, there wouldn't be any significant problems once we went through the, the full planning process. Ben Cosgrave needed a bigger home for his expanding young family. It was just fortunate timing that the family grew at the same time as the housing market peaked and they sold their first home. Oh yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was several times what we paid for the house. So uh, uh, the effect of that, of course, was that we could have paid off the mortgage and, and, and pocketed uh, a few hundred thousand euros. But, uh, you know, the, the idea was to use all of the money to, to the next family house. It must have been really satisfactory on one level, looking at your bank balance and saying, my God, I am rich beyond my wildest dreams. But it wasn't as if you could go and spend any of that money buying a speedboat, was it? Well, exactly. It wasn't It wasn't spare money. It wasn't extra money. It wasn't bonus money. It was, it was actually a bit nerve-wracking, to be quite honest with you, because uh, you're looking at a bank balance that seems to be uh, beyond your wildest imagination. And uh, yet we knew we had to be very tight if we were going to achieve the goal in the end of it, you know. Selling your starter home to build a family home should be pretty routine, but it turned into a nightmare that left Ben feeling like he had undermined the whole family's future. No, it was very definitely a very stressful time. Uh, We were anxious, as I said, the proceeds of the family home, which was a place that we loved, was, was now, we felt, in jeopardy. So it was very stressful. We had plenty of sleepless nights uh, wondering if we'd made a a huge mistake um, moving from the security of of the house that we bought and could afford. And now we're in a situation where we're renting a house and uh, we weren't exactly sure whether the money that we had in the bank was safe. It was very stressful. And I would imagine that when you have a young family placing a question mark over the family home like that must cut quite deeply at a psychological level. It does, absolutely, yeah. We thought we were doing the best thing for our family and then we began to wonder if we'd made the biggest mistake and that we were going to be renting forever. Uh, the property market is is very, you know, uh, at that point, volatile, I suppose. 
Um, we didn't know whether things were going to go up, down, or which way they were going to go, and whether we'd ever be able to buy a house or a property again at all. Did you think about withdrawing the money and putting it in a hole at the bottom of the garden, either figuratively or literally? Well, yes. I mean, I think uh, we had heard at this point that uh, certain people were concerned about their savings and about uh, funds that they had and and people, you know, yeah, as you said, burying it in the garden under the mattress, uh, buying whatever they could with it, but basically removing it from the banks. But when you're talking about the amount of money from the proceeds of the sale of a house, there's not an awful lot you can do with that. You you, you can't stack it up in the in the attic. So uh, we didn't really know what we were going to be able to do with it. So we were literally eagerly waiting, watching the news, watching things happening as they as they developed, you know. So if you felt that you couldn't take action yourself, you were quite literally waiting on the government to do something to step in and save the family home. Exactly, yes. And then, you know, one always feels they're in a unique position. And uh, I didn't know whether there was anyone else out there who had done what I had done and uh, I didn't know whether there was anyone that we could turn to I certainly didn't feel like I could ask the bank what the best thing to do was um, we just felt that the advice we would have got from them wasn't going to be uh, in our best interest anymore Losing the family home is the stuff of waking nightmares Ben would have been banjacked without a guarantee but that's not the kind of opinion you voice in polite company any longer I mean, I still think it was probably the best outcome. Um, I, I think the government stepping in certainly calmed what could have been a, a an even bigger panic by the by the public. If everybody had taken absolutely everything out of the banks at that point, the problem probably would have been a lot bigger and a lot harder to deal with. Please don't stop the music. Summer of 2008. Dustin was knocked out of the Eurovision Song Contest semi-final. We voted against the Lisbon Treaty. Bertie O'Hearn slid out and Brian Cowan slipped in with little apparent effort. Things still felt boomy, but the god of irony, if there is one, had chosen the heavy rotation radio play song of the summer. What we knew publicly in July was that the Department of Finance was going to tighten our belt by a half a billion. What nobody outside finance knew was that a high-level group inside the department was also contingency planning for what to do in the event that there was a complete collapse of public faith in the banks and everyone rushed altogether to withdraw their money. The summer before, Northern Rock had shown how easily it could happen. Thousands of Northern Rock savers have queued for hours at branches to empty their accounts. Many more have withdrawn cash via the internet. Despite reassurances from the bank over the safety of their savings, customers have now taken out well over a billion pounds. The Bank of England would not have lent us any money if we were in an unstable financial position. It's as simple as that. They would not but at branches it. right across the country, Northern Rock customers have been queuing for hours to take their money out. Everyone from the Bank of England to the Chancellor has been telling them that there's no threat to their savings. Please don't stop the music. A 
previously small building society turned bank with outsized ambitions and borrowings 300% in excess of what it held on deposit looked shaky, so everybody acted as if it was falling down. In the 12 months since then, the news from the United States got a little bit more worrying every day. When a big bank failed in California just a few days ago and given some uneasy rumors about others, there could perhaps be more on the way. And I just came from the stock exchange, Brian, where the question isn't whether another bank will fail, but which one and when. While devastated giants like Citigroup get bailed out again and again and again, many smaller banks are failing. They started lining up before dawn here to get into IndyMac Bank as soon as the doors opened so they could get their money out. And the idea that these banks should be bailed out, while politically controversial, was for the most part accepted wisdom of how you respond in times like these. To help address challenges in the housing and financial markets, we announced temporary steps to help stabilise them and increase confidence in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. In July, President Bush had announced that the massive mortgage lenders, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, were to have $100 billion pumped into them. We must ensure they can continue providing access to mortgage credit during this time of financial stress. Literally hundreds of smaller US banks were bailed out by the Treasury during the course of that year. The political and social costs of letting banks go to the wall was just too damaging. But there were no moves in that direction here, so people like Mary Flynn, faced with the problem of a possible run on the banks here, did the only sane thing that anyone can do in that situation, become a part of the problem themselves. That was the big worry. That was the big worry. What am I, I, uh, what am I going to do? My money is in, uh, in the bank. And I went to the bank and um, now I have to say the girl that looked after me, she was very nice. And she suggested you're going to have to maybe move your money around a bit, kind of, you know. Mary literally withdrew everything on deposit and walked around town with a lump sum of cash, finding novel places to stash it. I put some into the on-post savings certificates um, and I put some into prize bonds. Yeah, put some enterprise bonds as well, and that's that's about it. Now, there are still money kind of in the bank, which I could still be worried about, kind of, you know. But um, so, I mean, when the guarantee scheme came in, I mean, it was definitely a relief. I'd say it was that morning yeah. then of September the 30th, mm-hmm. when the government was going to underwrite everything, guarantee yeah. all deposits. Yeah. Were you singing choruses of hallelujah? I certainly was. I know it benefited lots of people far better off than me and the whole lot, but at least it gave it gave some leeway to us. I mean, it really, really helped us kind of, you know, that at least at least we had that, you know, if you had your couple of accounts and a couple of banks, at least you had something that you could fall back on. You know, it definitely was a relief, definitely, yeah. The thing is, to listen to you, you're very modest in your expenditure. Mm. You played by all of the rules, never giving the kids more than was permissible but exactly. the, under the Revenue Commissioner's rules. Yeah. You're planning for your own period in a nursing home, I mean, literally doing absolutely everything that a responsible person should do. And then you find that the whole system could be about to let That's you right. down. That's right. That's right. It, um, you know, it really is uh, devastating. Uh, your mind and everything. You, you don't know. You don't know where to turn. 
you just don't know where to turn. I mean, you're not, you're not one of these financial wizards who have, have uh, know what to do and the whole lot. We're not. We we were just we were just devastated, kind of, and um, wouldn't have known what to do. Wouldn't have known what to do. Did all of the worries, did all of the stress and the medication that you were taking for that anxiety stop mm-hmm. then when the guarantee was introduced? No, well, not overnight, Philip, you know, just over a period of time, you know, that um, I knew we were OK. Um, really, when my husband retired then and when I, I knew things were kind of settled down with the guarantee, at least I knew I had that type of money that I could fall back on, kind of, and I didn't have a mortgage, kind of. So you kind of, it was balanced. You felt like you could breathe yeah. again. Yeah, and I, I would have had my our pension. I would we would have had our pension coming uh, both of us. So we you know all that came in. So that helped that helped relieve the stress, definitely, yeah. But if my savings had gone, I mean that was it. But this is not what the guarantee is about in the minds of most. Ask in any pub and you'll be told it enriched the rich at the expense of the poor. And while it did do that, there were countless Marys too, with no buy to lets in her portfolio, not even a portfolio in fact just constant saving for her retirement. During the good days, kind of, if you made money, you paid your tax on it and what was left, I saved when I could. I saved. I, we we led a fairly, you know, we, we didn't go overboard in our lifestyle writing. We still have the same house that we bought and um, we we never we never invested in anything else, kind of. And You never bought apartments in Bulgaria no, or anything God, like that? I never queued up outside juries on a Sunday morning. No, to, to, <laughs> no, I never had any interest in that. I wasn't interested in buying places to rent or anything like that. No. By the time we have sold off all assets taken into state ownership, the bill for the guarantee will be around a net €40 billion. What was at stake for ordinary people like Mary and Ben, if the music had stopped completely, was twice that sum. So perhaps it makes the guarantee look a little bit less like the sum of all evils. If I had asked you in September 2008, what short-term measure, what immediate overnight measure do I need to take in order to fix the banks or to stop them from being completely and irreparably broken? Would it have been a guarantee? Yes, it would have been. Uh, It's pretty clear in my mind that there was very little alternative to some form of guarantee of the Irish financial system in 2008. Donald Gallagher fixes broken banks. We, we have helped fix broken banks, and, and these days we help well banks uh, implement the, the changes in the regulations post-financial crisis. He has travelled all over the world throughout the Great Recession, helping to dig banks out of Irish nationwide and Anglo-Irish-sized holes. I am a mathematician by training, um, but I have found myself working in financial risk management, particularly in the banks, for the last 15 or 20 years. And 10 years ago, I founded a firm together with a German colleague, and we specialize in financial risk management for the uh, international banking sector. 
And with the benefit of seeing Ireland September 2008 playing out again and again in different parts of the world at different times, he is in no doubt that some form of bank guarantee here was the unavoidable choice at that time. Because the fundamental risk here is that your financial system, the clearing part of your financial system, implodes, uh, which means there's no cash in the ATMs, which means that money in transit, so houses being bought and sold, wills being going through the probate uh, process, so all, all sorts of financial transactions, transactions freeze and are somehow lost, uh, which ultimately gives rise to uh, chaos. It is almost impossible to run a modern economy without uh, a functioning financial system. All of those people living off a nest egg, all of those people in the process of buying or selling... Salaries in transit, um, yeah, all, all sums of money in transit would, would are at risk of being frozen and lost and and you can you can argue about the rights and wrongs of the guarantee and should it have gone as far as it, it did but to my mind some form of guarantee was necessary in the absolute white hot chaos in the weeks after lehman failed without a shadow of a doubt there were other options that were discussed they were talking about nationalizing anglo they were talking about a cash injection for all of the banks why would they not have been equal to the task if we can cast our minds back to 2008, the failure of, of Lehman Brothers really threw the whole international financial system into chaos. Right? And there was almost like a searchlight, like the eye of Sauron searching around for the weakest link uh, in, in the, finan- the global financial system. And it, it passed over Ireland, it passed over the UK, it passed over Iceland. I don't know, a lot of people seem to have forgotten this, but London was described as Reykjavik on Thames for a long time. The panic in the financial system was looking for a home. Now, it takes time to implement bailouts and recapitalizations, and all of those things are ultimately necessary at some point to solve the problem. In order to save the financial system here, Ireland needed to say, we're not going to be part of the chaos, and a guarantee was the instrument for doing that in my mind. Since the crash, Ireland's banks have been put on an Atkins diet for previously gluttonous lenders beefier regulations, high-protein capital requirements and all the carbs stripped out of the way they do business. Has it made them fitter, though? Are they now less prone to sudden heart attacks? I think they are, without a shadow of a doubt. All five of them are, are, are better. Um, the, the, the regulatory environment here, glo- in fact, globally, has changed. Um, I think one of the weaknesses, it's not a weakness, I mean, it's just a statement of fact, that there hadn't been a financial crisis in Ireland in living memory. So there was no institutional memory of a severe financial crisis, whereas now there has been. So the regulatory lines are, are uh, so much stronger. The banks themselves uh, have, have been revamped, their governance. And I think the general population is an awful lot more financially literate. Uh, and there's a lot more personal experience now of what happened 10 years ago that would mitigate that risk. So if we were to face a vaguely similar set of circumstances in 2021, arising from a wave of business insolvencies and associated mortgage defaults and so on, do you think that it is likely that the banks would be placed under the same stresses that they were 12 years ago? I can't answer that for sure. What I can say is that the capital structure, so the quantity and quality of capital that banks have is a lot higher. So that capital is the thing, it's cash on hand, ultimately, that's there to absorb losses. 
But, you know, no institution is designed not to fail under any circumstances. There's always a risk at some confidence level, at some probability that losses will be too high. So I can't say what the losses will be. I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. But it is certainly unlikely that there'll be a replay in the same way of the same circumstances in 28-9. I ended up asking Donald Gallagher the same question quite a number of different ways about whether the banks could weather whatever the pandemic throws at them. Wisely, but worryingly, he offered no cast-iron guarantees. But before you go transferring your savings into Kruger rands and sewing them into the seams of your overcoat, take a little comfort from his answer to the last way that I put the question to him. If I were to give you a hypothetical million euro today and say, now look after that for 2021... Where would you put that money in the meantime? Would you leave it as cash on deposit? Would you put it into stocks and shares or would you buy gold bullion and bury it at the bottom of the garden? I would be perfectly happy either giving it to the Irish government or to the Irish banks. Uh, on the on average, the stock market yields returns, but it also yields losses. And this is a particularly volatile time. Um, so if, if you want to avoid volatility in your money, I, I would... From my perspective, there's relatively low risk in putting it in in the hands of a government or, or, or one of the Irish banks. It would be disingenuous to present the bank guarantee as a caped hero of fiscal interventions. After all, it did bankrupt us. And we'll consider its part in our downfall in another programme. But... Two truths can exist simultaneously, and the voices of the Marys, the Bens and the Donalds haven't got much of a hearing in the last noisy decade. Neither has the idea that the more welcome side of its legacy, forcing better banking on our bankers, has left us better able to deal with what's coming. We could ask the piano player for another tune, but perhaps that's a little bit too soon. Boombust Broke is an original RTE podcast presented and produced by Philip Boucher-Hayes under lockdown in his front room, which I hope explains the sometimes less than optimum sound quality. In the next programme, we consider the less advantageous side of the bank guarantee.